0: You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week, we're hearing from lead pastor, Gare Jones. Well, today is Focus Sunday. And I want to talk this morning about stepping into the story of God. As a church... Focus is a time where we remind ourselves of who we are, individually and also as a family. And this morning I want to look at what it means for us to be called to step into the story of God. The story you live in is the story you live out. The story you live in is the story you live out. And everyone in Los Angeles has a story that they're living in whether to become famous or to be successful or whether to be the best parent in the world or find a spouse or find something else, whatever it may be, we're living in a story. The story you live in is the story you live out. But when you become a follower of Jesus, those things aren't bad, but you get those smaller stories and put them into a much bigger story, the story of God. That your life is not just about you, but you are called into the story of God. We're going to look at a passage of the Bible, which I don't think many of you will have studied before. But it shows us that each one of us as individuals and as a church family are part of a much bigger story. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read it together because this is the genealogy of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever looked at this genealogy, but it's full of names and that you can't pronounce and you skip over and go, why on earth is it here? Why on earth? Oh, can't we just go straight to the birth of Jesus? Why on earth is this genealogy here? And as we read it, I want to tell you now why it's here. It's here because even the life of Jesus was born into a story that God had already been working. And Jesus was the great fulfillment of that story where everybody had played their part leading up to the birth of Jesus. But we are now part of the continuation of that story where we are playing our part in the story of Jesus in the world today you have a part to play in the story of Jesus. So to make sure that we see this very crystal clear, I struggle with reading out this first passage of Matthew's Gospel, because I can't pronounce any of the names, right? And so rather than just embarrass myself, I'm gonna embarrass us all. So we're gonna read it together, okay? So boldly, confidently, Uh, Let's read this together. And if you don't know how it's pronounced, just make it up. That's what I do. Okay, ready? On the count of three, let's do this. One, two, three, go. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. We're going to speed it up. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminabab. Aminab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Eriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerome, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Breath. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Breathe. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abuhud, the father of Elohim, Elohim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the mother of Mathan the father, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> now I am sure every name in that list had a story they were playing. I'm a dad, I'm a mum. I'm a king, or I'm a servant, or I'm, a, I'm an artist, I'm an actor, or whatever it may be. And that's all true. But in Matthew's gospel, we begin, and their names are there to say, but you are part of a much bigger story. You were part of the unfolding story of God in the world. And that is also true of you. Your name is in a similar genealogy in the records of heaven. That for such a time as this, God says, this is where you are going to come. Not to begin a story, but to take the baton on and carry the story forward. You are not random in this world. God knew and dreamt of you. got excited about you being born. And not only decided the unique cocktail of who you are, but also decided that the uniqueness of who you are, made in the image of God, was right for now. To be the continuation of his story in the world. You have a bigger part to play. You're not just here in LA to make it, to be promoted, to get rich, find a spouse or whatever it may be these are all good but they are all caught up in a much bigger story god is doing something in the world and you have a part to play what is that story what is that story the hint is in that chapter the hint jesus the messiah the king who's come to save the world This is the great unfolding story of Scripture, that God has come in Jesus to fix the brokenness of this world. I don't know about you, but how many times throughout the day, whether you're watching the news or stuck in traffic on the 405 going, oh, my world, this world needs fixing. Sometimes it's superficial, but sometimes it's painfully deep. This world needs fixing. This is the story of the Bible, in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, we see God create the world in beauty and goodness as he intended it to be. But then things go south pretty quickly. Pain and darkness enters into the world. Not by God's design, not by his choice, but by our decision to do life without him. It doesn't take long before things unravel And then the remaining story of the Bible from Genesis chapter 4 to the very end is God's plan of healing the world. God's plan of fixing what we broke. God's plan of loving back to life the world in its darkness. This is the story of God that we are all caught up in to play our part I love in Revelation chapter 1, right at the very end, you see Jesus say these words, God's home is now with his people, and he will live with them and them with him. And there will be no more pain, no more death, no more crying, no more sorrow. Look, Jesus says, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. What an amazing story to be caught up in. It's been reduced so often in the Christian world to believing in Jesus to get to heaven. In other words, to get out of the brokenness, to get out of the darkness and go somewhere else. And yet Jesus throughout the whole of his ministry and throughout the whole of scripture tells a different story. Yes, we are to be rescued, but not that we get out, but that we join him in renewing and healing. To make all things new. Which is why Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray. He never said, pray, Jesus, get me out of here. He says, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are in the great story of God renewing and fixing all things. All of the enemies of humanity were defeated on the cross. And ultimately, the full ramifications of that victory will happen when Jesus comes again. But until then, day by day, hour by hour, city street by city street, we are joining with Jesus by his Holy Spirit to bring his victory to bear in our world. To bring love where there is hatred. To bring forgiveness where there is guilt. To bring salvation where there is lostness. To bring comfort where there is grief. This is the story of God in which you have a part to play. This is your story. Somewhere in heaven, in this story of God renewing all things, there's your name. And then the baton passed to her, to Jim, to Sue, to Sharon, to Jesus, and then someone else. We live in a city where we worship the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Where we think that the story is about us. But there's much better news. And that is to get out of ourselves and realize that God has created the wonderfulness and uniqueness of who you are, but for a bigger story. A story of eternal significance. And that is also the same with our church. Vintage Is part of a story that didn't begin with vintage, but we came into the city and joined with God in what he was already doing in seeing our city come alive in Jesus Christ. Whenever you get up in the morning and think, God, what is the story that I'm stepping into? It's good to look back, isn't it? Like this genealogy, oh my word, so many people have been sowing into this story. King David! Jehoshaphat, all these guys, all these women, and now it's my turn to continue the story. So it is, even in our city, that we as a church are stepping into a story that God has already been working great things before I, you, Vintage was around. As we look to the future of our church, we first have to look back and go, God, we're stepping into a story. And we need to know what that story has been. Did you know LA has a rich history of God doing great things here? Great things here. I'm a bit of a a nerd when it comes to the history of our city. And particularly what God has been doing through the beauty and the pain in our city. But some some of the movements of God have been significant. We have a slide here showing a few of my favorite kind of God moments in our city. The first is 1904 with William Seymour in the Great Azusa Street Revival. Downtown, there's a little street. It's very insignificant in in its beauty. It's more of an alleyway today. But in 1904, 1906 rather, God poured out his spirit in a home there as William Seymour preached. And the Pentecostal movement was born. As so many people were experiencing the power of God being born again and being sent out on mission for three years nonstop, they had three meetings a day, seven days a week for three years with queues lining up around the building as God opened up heaven and the Pentecostal movement was born. A few years later, one of the heroic women leaders of church history, Amy Semple McPherson, arrived in LA to preach the gospel. Scandalous in her day. And she arrived and thousands of people would come and listen to her preach. Thousands would come to know Jesus. I wish there was a recording of her sermons because she says she was the very first kind of flamboyant artist on stage. She would act out the dramas. She would have props, even animals on stage. She'd have other people playing parts in her sermons. And she became the leader of the largest church in the world in Los Angeles. 10,000 people would gather every week in what was then when she built the Angeles Temple and sparked missions around the world. Not long later, a tent was built, erected in a parking lot downtown LA where Billy Graham, this young man called Billy Graham, wanted to do his very first ever tent revival meeting campus crusade partnered with him for a 3 week let's be bold let's be faithful well let's hope god keeps us going for 3 weeks well after 1 week they realized god was doing something special and they had to keep postponing like extending rather extending the meetings one more night One more night, and three weeks turned into four weeks. Four weeks turned into five weeks, until eventually eight weeks in, Billy Graham had preached to over 350,000 people coming through this tent to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You then see Billy, a few years later, fill the Colosseum, As God has often opened up his heavens in our city, and of course, many in the room and many friends of mine now tell me the stories of the 1960s with the Jesus movement when the story of the hippie generation coming out of Woodstock and falling in love with Jesus. And Many in our church today remember those days of people lining the beaches along Santa Monica Bay and down in Orange County, lining the beaches to be baptized. My own bishop who's a wonderful man called Todd Hunter, tells the story of him and his young bride, hippies, doing all the hippie stuff, going into a meeting full of hippies with a guitar, singing these strange new songs, and just accepting Jesus at the very end. He says the story, I we said this prayer at the end to accept Jesus, and we walked away, and we knew our lives had changed forever. We knew Jesus. And then since then there's been others. Did you know on the west side of LA was the very first vineyard church? As the vineyard movement then spread around the world with John Wimber and others. Church of Nazarene started just up the road. As they had a, a heart for Jesus and local mission as it spread around the world. Jack Hayford just across the mountains in Church on the Way. I grew up reading these books by Jack Hayford in this mega church somewhere in California. I didn't know where that was, but I'd seen Karate Kid and it kind of looked cool. (laughs) God has been doing great things in our city. Unlike many others, God doesn't want to leave LA. He loves it here. And he wants to continue the story in this epicenter of global cultural influence to see his kingdom transform our society. To see reconciliation, to see justice, to see mercy, to see heaven fill the streets of our city. This is the story you're stepping into. This is the story that God says you have a role to play. This doesn't happen with a few people on stage. This happens when the body of Christ says this is our story and this is why we're here. This is why vintage came about the story of the church you're in. How many of you were around when we started Vintage Church in 2011? Two or three. My wife was, that's great, (laughs) amazing. (laughs) We didn't come here just to be part of a church that would sing a few songs and do a few Bible studies. We came to play our part in the ongoing story of God in this city. And it's been quite an adventure. Do you remember when, you, when Barack Obama left the presidency and you look at, oh my word, the, these last 10 years or whatever it was, he was in office. Man, they took a toll. Well, this is us as we arrived in Los Angeles 10 years ago. <laughs> and I look at that and go, oh my word, I used to look very different the last 10 years, Uh, and I asked permission for my daughter in the cycling helmet to put that photo up there (laughs) because, yes, I think she was on a bike, she just didn't want to wear a cycling helmet, but we arrived 10 years ago in in our city, and we knew that God had called us to play our part in the story of God, but we arrived, and there was only one person here, Amy Ho, who's still part of our community, and we rented an apartment, three small children, there they are, around the corner on 18th and Washington, our furniture arrived a bit late, and we sat down in that room, in an empty room, got some takeout pizza, and we said, Lord, you've got to do something. What are we doing? And slowly but surely, through God moment after God moment, amazing building relationships and seeing Him work, slowly but surely, God started to unfold a new community being birthed on the west side of LA. It was very touch and go to begin with. I remember the first meeting. Uh, we thought, oh no, we need, a, we need a worship team. No, put that down. <laughs> just wait for me to say the slides before we put them up. The very first meeting was like, we needed a worship team. And so we had to hire some worship folks. Lizzie was, Lizzie was on the door, welcoming people and doing the kids ministry, which is just our kids at the time. <laughs> and... I said, I'll preach, and I leafleted the whole area. I said, look, come and check out this new church. And so we opened up, and it was very exciting. As three people showed up, I thought, this is the beginning of many. And I kept looking down the street, and it was just the three people. And they were all from one family. And they sat there faithfully. And you know, as a church planter, you think, this is touch and go. Do I just abandon the service right now? And there's more people on stage than in the seats. But as a church planter, you go, no, here we go. And I preach that family the best, the most bespoke sermon they've ever heard in their life just for them. But that was the beginning. God, you've got to do something. We're stepping into your story. We don't know what that looks like. After a few weeks, put up this next slide now. After a few weeks, we thought we were like massive megachurch because we were like 20 people. And if the room felt full because do you see the optical illusion? I covered the seats with curtains from Ikea. <laughs> Right? No one knew those were empty pews. And we started, that's 2011, just before Easter 2011. But we knew God had called us. We knew for two reasons. We knew because one weekend when I came out to LA before this, Lord, are you calling us to the city? I'm not a in love with LA kind of guy before we moved here. I'm not an artist, I'm not an actor, shock horror, you know, I'm not a musician, I'm a lawyer by trade. I thought the last place you're gonna call me to connect with culture is Los Angeles. But we were invited to come out. I remember walking on the beaches thinking, really, is this where you're calling us? And it was a God moment because I was actually further up the bay towards Malibu, looking back towards Santa Monica. And I remember feeling the heartbeat of God for the city. And that heartbeat didn't cause me to giggle and celebrate. It caused me to cry. And it felt like, just for a moment, God removed the curtain of sunshine and palm trees and showed me the the loneliness, the pain, the trauma, the evil and God's love to bring healing to this city. And over time, Lizzie and I felt together, God is calling us to come out. And once we arrived, after a few weeks, we're part of a bigger network of churches back in England called Holy Trinity Brompton Network, and they had their annual conference, and so I flew over to that. And we were in a worship context, singing songs like we were doing this morning, And Again, this doesn't happen often for me, but as I was singing, I felt like God played a video, like a film in my mind. It was like a a motion picture in my mind. And do you remember Godzilla? Remember Godzilla comes out of the ocean in Tokyo? I know he's a nice Godzilla nowadays, but in those days he was evil, right? Godzilla comes out of the ocean in those old classic movies, and he walks through the streets of Tokyo and destroys it wherever he goes. Right. Well, there was kind of a different version of that in my kind of movie, in my head. I felt God was showing me. And I saw a picture of Los Angeles. And it was all black and white. But unlike Godzilla, there was this massive Jesus. Like a massive Jesus, about three, like bigger than any of the other buildings around him. And he was walking through the streets. But unlike Godzilla who destroyed everything in his path. Wherever Jesus walked, he brought life to wherever he passed. And in fact, the map changed from color to color from black and white, wherever he was. And I remember vividly seeing in his wake families and people laughing and celebrating and feasting. As Jesus walked the streets of LA, he brought the streets to life. He brought love to loneliness, comfort to grief, healing to sickness, life to lostness. And that's when I knew, Jesus, this is the story of God for our city. And as the body of Christ, the church, you want to work through us to bring life to the streets of our city. Spiritual renewal, social and cultural transformation, justice and mercy. This is the story of God in our city. And so we planted the church and started and we started to grow. We were in Westwood for a season. We outgrew that and went to Uni High up in West LA. And then we had this email from an elder of this church here who we'd never been to, never heard of, except that our son went to preschool here at the time. And they said, look, our pastor's resigning. We're a smaller congregation. Would you consider merging? And so we started this ongoing conversation about whether it would be a great kind of kingdom collaborative union. And so we did. We merged the churches. And it was at that point I realized we thought, and this may be like you think, or I think, we thought the story began when we planted vintage. But then we realized, oh no, we are stepping into a much bigger story that's been going on for decades. The story of what God has been doing in this location. Got a slide here to show that in 1925, the first building was built on this location, Trinity Church, to worship Jesus and proclaim the gospel. That building in the top left is what used to be on this site. Santa Monica was growing. It was a tourist destination. People were leaving LA to come near the beach. The community was growing rapidly and someone said, we need to plant a church. And be, thus began the gospel proclamation on this location in 1925. In 1948, they said, this church is too small. And so they demolished it and see the gathering of people in the bottom left. That is the dedication of the new building that was to be built. And my estimation geographically is that group of people are standing about where you guys are right now, this location, as they dreamt of a bigger home that they could actually declare the faithfulness and the gospel of Jesus to the west side of LA. That next picture is people actually in the congregation rolling up their sleeves to help. They didn't have enough money just to pay someone to do it. But the people of God stepped into the story of God, come on, let's build this thing. Weekends and evenings with the contractor, they all joined in to build this home of the gospel. And you see on there the the infrastructure of the church going up and the big circular arches which you can see today in the roof here. The next slide shows the new building as it was constructed in the bottom right hand from what it was in 1925. And so the story of the gospel, and you read the history of this building being full to the rafters in the 50s and 60s with people coming to know Jesus. Pastor Fred Judson at the time was an amazing preacher, moved by the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel faithfully, and saw thousands and thousands come to know Jesus. This is the story that we are sitting in the seats of today. What began almost 100 years ago, 1925, the baton passes to us to push it forward for the next 100 years. You are not here in Los Angeles just to step into your own story of career, family, leisure, pleasure, treasure. There's a much bigger story. The story of God through generation after generation, individual After individual, and somewhere in the great genealogy of God's family, there's your name in Los Angeles for such a time as this. This is the story of God that we're a part of. As we move from the past into the future, as we take the baton on and move into the next season of what God has for this community, for this part of the world, for this city. I want to call out three things that are on my heart for our community in this next season. In this cultural moment, we have a unique task ahead of us. And the first thing is this. As we move forward together, we are called in this next season as the people of God to be faithful and not compromise. To be faithful and not compromise. We're living in a cultural moment where deconstruction and dismantling of faith is the hobby of choice. And I understand why. Many people have been really wounded by the church. They've been told things by pastors. They've seen the hypocrisy of pastors. They've seen judgmentalism. And theology where they go, hang on, That doesn't seem like Jesus. And many people today are going, hang on a minute, I'm not too sure if I believe this, and are deconstructing their faith. And I want to say that's absolutely needed. Every generation has to come before Jesus and go, Jesus, where have we in our brokenness added stuff to you or distorted you Because we have to tear that away so that people can just see you. The danger is, people are tearing down so much, they tear down Jesus himself. And our role in this cultural moment, in a city that is questioning faith, questioning what they've been told, questioning what they believe, is to show people Jesus is still as irresistible as ever. But you're right, that stuff we need to get rid of. It's what Jesus did. He walked around and said, oh my word, you've turned my house into a den of robbers. It should be a house of prayer. He was tearing down the things that were not of him but remaining and keeping what is of him. And we have a whole generation fed up with some of the things that people have tried to put on Jesus that they're in danger of running away completely from Jesus himself. So we have a job to do, to be faithful to Jesus and show him to our city. And they'll discover that he is still as irresistible as he's always been. That was my story and maybe your story. It's why my wife and I feel at home in this city. Because we've grown up in areas where we've had to see Jesus versus what other people say. And our challenge in this next season is to do things like Alpha. is to preach in such a way, hopefully, teach in such a way, hopefully, that people can go see, yes, that's Jesus, and that's not. Is, we have a phrase here saying doubts are welcome in our community. Because it's like people come to me all the time and say, yeah, hang on a minute, that Old Testament stuff sounds really wacko. How on earth could that be the God of Jesus? Yeah, great question. Let me help with that. What about other religions? Yeah, let me help with that. What about this? What about that? Where they've never felt they've been able to ask these questions. This community is a place where we are going to show you, you can be faithful to Jesus and have your answers to your questions in a compelling, beautiful way. We are to be faithful and not to compromise. The second thing is we are, in this next season, we carry on the story of God. We are to love, not leave our city. We are to love, not leave our city. Now, let me start straight away and say this. God sends people everywhere around the world. But you're here in this city because God sent you here to be a missionary for the name of Jesus. Remember that scripture, Go and make disciples of all nations. Go. Go and be a missionary. And most people think missionaries are when you pack up your bags and go to Outer Mongolia. That's a missionary. 99% of missionaries are missionaries when they stay, not when they leave. We're called to be Jesus to our city. We're called to be Jesus here. Jesus puts it this way. You are to be salt and light in the world. Where there's darkness, you are the light. Jesus so cares about the darkness of this city, he sent you here to bring the light. The challenge is, when the light goes, I don't like the darkness. (laughs) I don't think I want to be in darkness. In fact, light, ooh, I like the light. Ooh, Nashville seems very light. Ooh, Austin. Look at the light in Austin. <laughs> I want to go there. In other words, as Christians, we forget that we're missionaries called to love the city, and we think we are to be comfortable in our salt shakers. Comfortable, hanging out with other people of light. We're not living into the story of God. Now, now, just just to get really honest i love la but i also really struggle with la i struggle with a lot of stuff going on in the city as you do and over the last 2 years in covid time it got like the temperature went up right politically either way politically it's tough economically it's difficult Sociologically, it's, it's tough. In other words, there's lots of darkness. In which case, the Christians go, "Oh, that's why I'm here. We are called to bring light into the darkness." I am not here when I. It's funny. I said my wife and I talk like this. I don't say, Oh, I love LA. That's why we're here." No, I'm called to be here in order to love LA to life. We've culturally bought the story is that you choose to live where it's most convenient and comfortable. Where it works for you in your taxation policies, in your political policies. And I just want to say to all of us, God can call us to stay or send us. That's God's prerogative. I'm, I'm not God in your life at all. Oh my word, no. But if you are to leave L.A., go because God is sending you, not because you are sending you. Because we're missionaries. We're part of the story of God. And my heart has broken slightly over the last year when people say to me, I'm leaving the city because I just don't like this or that. I go, that's fine. You can leave the city, bro. But is God calling you to leave the city or are you just wanting more comfort? Because I don't know. My Bible says we're salt and light in the darkness. I don't know what your Bible says. And this city has suffered. Part of the reason why this city has suffered so much is people haven't loved the city, but taken from it and left. And I remember God saying to me, will you love my city not for what you can get out of it, just because you're to love her? So anyway... Only God is in charge of your life. Never do what your pastor says. Always do what God says. Right? That's a lesson I learned the hard way. Always do what God says. Never listen to me. Except me telling you, make sure it's God telling you. All right? Does that make sense? Thirdly, we are to be family, not flaky. Family, not flaky. We have a job to do in the city, to step into the story of God, to see heaven renew the streets of our city. And I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of hard because being in the city, being around darkness is tough. Right? The only way we can do that is if we have one foot in the city and one church in the family, one foot in the family of God where you can be encouraged, people praying for you, you can be equipped, you can help equip others. We are a missionary body then going out six days of the week into our city. But the only way that you can be overflowing with the power of the Spirit and overflowing with love for the city is that you're being recharged every week by the presence of God through the local community. And that's why I love our church is because we're a family here equipping each other to go out to the city filled with the truth of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no way you can do that if you date other churches and just date lots of churches never go exclusive. <laughs> right? You can't. You'll never be charged enough. You will never be full enough. You'll never actually have the what you need if you flit around lots of other churches for your spiritual experience, which is just really for you. Believe me, a couple of friends with mimosas is not enough for your spiritual community. It's not. I'm not poo-pooing that. And I've had a hard time with church. You know me. If you heard my story, I've had a hard time with church. But what I don't do is reduce the need of a church. The need of a family to equip, to support, to befriend, to encourage, to pray for, to carry in times of need, to help you in marital difficulties, to help you with your kids, to help you in your singleness, to help. You know, all these things. If we are to be salt and light in the city, we've got to be family. We've got to be here for each other. And that means here for each other. That means people need you just as much as you need them. And so there's a little encouragement. Go exclusive with some church in the city, whether it's vintage or someone else. I have zero desire for any kind of growth for growth's sake of our church community. But I've got great desire for you to be plugged in to a family of God in this city. Where you can play your part to be one foot in the church that you can then go out into the world and back again. Oh man, it was a great week. This is what God did. Oh great, I'm out again. That's amazing. Okay, you need to pray for me now because this happened. Okay, all right. Now I'm going out again. This is, okay, now my kids, let me tell you what happened to my kids. Okay, now I'm out. We come every Sunday back into the family and then we go out into the mission field Monday through Saturday. If you're truly stepping into the story of God, you need to be a part of the family of God. Otherwise you'll get picked off really quickly. Love the worship team to come up wherever they are as they trapeze down from the roof. (laughs) that would be cool, wouldn't it? (laughs) This is Focus Sunday, where we remind ourselves we're part of a God story. You think of all that's happened with Azusa Street, Amy Semple McPherson, Billy Graham's, the Jesus movement. You think of all that God has done in L.A. that's filled the world. you know Amy Semple McPherson came to L.A.? She's not from here, but she said, I'm going to stay here because what happens in L.A. happens around the world. And it was. People come and go so much that she said, what happens here will spread. And just think for a minute of your name that for such a time as this, God said, I want you in L.A. Not just for leisure, pleasure, treasure. That's a tiny story, a much bigger one that has eternal significance that you will play your part together with other people in our church to see the Jesus story go from one generation to the next, leaving behind a trail of the love of Jesus. That's the story you're caught up in. That's the story That we want to live. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.